0: Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Ross Safari Zoo News, your look at everything that's going on in the worlds of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and animal silliness. I'm, uh, I'm happy to have you here, and uh, we're going to have some fun getting to some interesting and, and maybe even some tough stories this week, uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get through it together like we always do. If this is your first time here, well, welcome, uh, and if this is not your first time here, well, welcome. Everyone's Welcome. So most of you know the drill by now, but if not, make sure you're following along at Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and at Pod on TikTok. And if you happen to see any zoo news-worthy stories, go ahead and send them my way, and I'll say your name at the end of the episode, whether I end up putting that into the episode or not. You get to hear your name, I get to do less work to uh, develop this weekly podcast, and uh, everybody wins, except for people who don't like hearing their names, but um haven't met many of those so anyway um quick thing before we get to the actual news uh, as a follow-up to what i talked about last week i have in fact accepted uh admission to project dragonfly i am a master's student so uh from now on i would ask that you all refer to me as master rossi um with an emphasis on master and uh, no i kid i kid but i am excited to start project dragonfly and um learn about things, I guess, like dragonflies. I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know what I'm getting myself into, but, uh, Hey, I'm getting myself into something because we all know that, uh, between, you know, writing and creating my own original show and being in multiple other shows, uh, many in a, uh, variety of leadership roles and doing this podcast and, you know, spending time with the people in my life and all that stuff that I have, just so much time to invest into getting into new stuff. So uh, this makes a lot of sense, and I'm super excited, <laughs> question mark. Nah, this is going to be cool, it's going to be fun, and uh, hopefully it'll make this podcast a deeper and richer experience for all of you. All right, but enough about that, let's get to it. Well, it's one for the pandas, two for the bears, three for the monkeys, now you should can, I not you. All right, so we're going to start it off with a, a fun one. Um, I'm talking about Cincinnati again and the new baby hippo. So it is a boy. Fiona officially has a brother. And um, the Cincinnati Zoo decided to take name suggestions from people. And there were over 90,000 names suggested for this hippo, which is... Possibly the most insane number I've ever heard. I don't know. That's crazy to me. But the hippo team has narrowed it down, and uh, there are two names still in consideration Fritz and Ferguson. Now, um, this is, this is going to be interesting because I've, I've already seen some people being a little annoyed about this, um, and there is a, a place where you can go and vote for the baby hippo name if you go to any of the Cincinnati Zoo's uh, you know, Facebook or Instagram or socials of any type. Uh, you can find that link, but the wording of the thing is such that it is made clear that the hippo team is going to be naming this hippo. They got to pick Fritz and Ferguson, and they're going to pick which one ultimately is the hippo's name. As a matter of fact, knowing as much as I do about how these things go on behind the scenes, I would bet you money that they already have decided. But they want everyone to feel a sense of ownership and excitement about the hippo, and so they're still doing the poll. But again, they're making it perfectly clear if you read the wording that um, your vote is not really what matters in this case. And uh, I've seen some people complaining about that already, but I have to tell you, I think that's wonderful. Many keepers get attached to these animals before the names can happen and uh, come up with names and the whole team starts calling them that. And actually there are a lot of animals that have a public name and a private name because the public got to vote on a name, but none of the keepers liked it and they had already decided on a private name. And so that's what they call the animal behind the scenes. Um, this is a really common trend. And, you know, keepers have a sense of ownership about animals that that even the biggest zoo fan does not get to have. It's just a different relationship. And and sometimes it's even hard for me to accept, you know, but like Colleen Adams has a relationship with Lucille, the bear cat that I will never have Despite the fact that I love Lucille with my whole heart and that doesn't take away from my feelings for and relationship with Lucille, but uh, it certainly means that hers is better and more important. And um, yeah, so I think keepers should always get to name their animals. I know why zoos go in different directions, especially when like some donors will pay pay thousands or tens of thousands of dollars to name an animal which uh you know if you got the money and you want to donate to a zoo that's cool that's fair i respect that Uh, someday when i'm rich maybe there will be a bunch of raw the red pandas running around um (laughs) but yeah i i think uh i think that's cool so i'm glad that cincy is letting the hippo team make this choice but if you do want to go and voice your opinion you certainly can and get a little bit more of a sense of ownership so uh Yeah, it's pretty cool. This hippo, by the way, if you haven't seen him, first of all, what are you doing listening to a zoo podcast if you haven't seen this hippo yet? But go look at all the social medias because he is adorable. Okay, so... I started off with a fun story this week because, uh, well, you know, doing song parodies into uh, different segments sometimes makes starting with a rough story a bit of a challenge. Let's just let's just say it's a bit of a challenge. But, uh, yeah, this week's uh, biggest story, in my opinion, is that Dane County officials in Wisconsin are investigating allegations of impropriety at the Henry Villas Zoo in Madison, Wisconsin. Now. I have been there once and I, I love this zoo. I've, I've always loved it there. And this is where Bandit, the red panda who was born at Columbus and that I love so much, now lives. Uh, so this one's hitting pretty hard. I'm, uh, I'm taking it pretty personally right now. A former judge has been put in charge of the investigation, which shows that it's really serious, Um, and uh, they are doing a probe into the zoo's management staff and practices, uh, trying to find out whether there is evidence to back up multiple allegations of racism, union activity retaliation, unequal discipline, animal neglect— and employee general discontent due to a hostile workplace. The uh, investigators' initial findings are expected to be released in a report form uh, on October 1st of this year, which is way too long from now, in my opinion, but I get it. Digging into the allegations a little bit further definitely brings up some concerning things. Um, All of the black zookeepers at the zoo have resigned. Um, Former zookeepers and other staff allege that they witnessed animals die because of management decisions. A deputy director is accused of using a racial slur, and there are multiple examples cited of unfair treatment and retaliation aimed at those voicing concerns to management. Zoo conservation education curator Jess Thompson said staff work hard to provide the best possible care for animals, noted that the zoo is accredited by the AZA, the gold standard in animal care and welfare, and said unfortunately there were a lot of inaccuracies that were published in the article about this situation. She went on to say that, quote, we take the allegations very seriously and we're definitely open to communicating and being transparent with anybody and everyone. Which obviously implies that they will cooperate entirely with the investigation. I'm also going to take the time to remind you that back in 2019, there was some controversy um, over the director of the zoo, Rhonda Schwetz, who allegedly sexually assaulted an employee during an AZA conference in 2018. Schwetz entered into an agreement to have criminal charges dismissed in the case and returned to her position at the zoo in October of 2021. So she is the same director that got in trouble for that, but uh, had the criminal charges dismissed. So, yeah, not a great look, although I will certainly point out again that all of this is alleged. And, um... Until the investigation is done, we don't know for sure what's going on at Henry Villis Zoo. But uh, I'm definitely concerned for Bandit and all of the amazing animals there at this time. Moving on to greener pastures, or to bluer ones, as the case may be, um, Adventure Aquarium is doing something really cool called Candlelight, Magical Movie Soundtracks. This is when a small string quartet, quintet, it's hard to tell from here, but a small orchestral group gets together in the Ocean's Ballroom area of the aquarium and... Um, sets up and plays movie soundtracks live while the room is lit by candles and the shark realm exhibit is behind them. So you get to see the musicians playing in candlelight with sharks and fish behind them. It's, it's a really beautiful thing. And they're continuing their sensory friendly nights uh, at the aquarium. So it's, it's just nice to see Adventure Aquarium doing lots of nice things. And speaking of nice things, Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo has announced the name of their recently born rhinoceros calf. The rhinoceros is named Dahlia, which means gentle, which is adorable, though I have to admit, having seen rhinos play so rough with certain uh, enrichment items, I, I do wonder if it's an accurate name, but I like it. Welcome, Dahlia. In a slightly sad but also remarkable story, the Cologne Zoo has said goodbye to Issa the tree kangaroo. Issa passed away at the age of 25, which is amazing. She was by far and away the oldest tree kangaroo in captivity in the world. Uh, in the wild, tree roos live to around half that age. Um... And just as she had, you know, more age-related issues and stopped eating as much and then became less and less mobile, it was determined that uh, the correct thing to do was to uh, put her to sleep because her quality of life had declined so much. So uh, it is definitely a bummer that the world has lost Issa, but it is amazing that she lived such an incredible long life. And um, it's also a little bit sad because uh, she was one of only two muddy tree kangaroos that were in captivity Um, so now there is only one muddy tree kangaroo left uh, in captivity and uh that tree kangaroo lives in europe but the species is no longer kept in captivity so uh yeah unfortunate to see but what an amazing story of how a zoo taking good care of an animal can lead to an incredibly long life Mesker Park Zoo recently announced that they have released some eastern hellbenders back into the wild. And this is part of a program that has been going on for seven years now, um, because in the early 2000s, it was determined that the species would go extinct in Indiana within 25 years if nothing was done. So Mesker Park Zoo, along with some partners, decided to start taking eggs out of the wild and then uh, growing the hellbenders to a survivable size and releasing them back into the wild. And with this latest release, the zoo has released over 500 eastern hellbenders back into Indiana waters. That's really exciting. And many other zoos have joined the program as well. And now eastern hellbenders are much less likely to go extinct in Indiana because of this program. Yay to Mesker Park Zoo and all the other zoos that have gotten involved. The record heat that is facing much of the country this summer is definitely making life challenging for zookeepers, uh, especially ones that want to keep their cooler climate animals cool. And NPR recently did an article explaining the amazing steps that zookeepers are taking to take care of their charges. The article discussed the use of air conditioning and how ice blocks and pools help keep some animals cool, and how even turning parts of their diet into popsicles can not only create enrichment for the animals, but also help them beat the heat. The article even goes into a discussion of the fact that while animals are normally offered choice on whether or not to be in their indoor or outdoor exhibits, a lot of zoos have certain rules and regulations that if a temperature gets past a certain point for each animal, it may not go outside. Because honestly, sometimes animals make really bad choices if they're allowed to. Slash, the red panda at Elmwood Park Zoo definitely is not allowed outside if it gets too hot because he will go out in the heat, and just sit there and be hot and miserable all day, even though he has an awesome indoor air-conditioned enclosure that people can still see him in. Um, I love Slash, but he's a bit of a dummy sometimes. Uh, Yeah, so it's just really cool that NPR was bringing focus to the amazing work of zookeepers, something I also try to do every once in a while. Brevard Zoo, our friends in Florida, have come up with a new position that I think is really cool. An inclusion coordinator. Kristen is the name of their current inclusion coordinator, and uh, her job is to develop programs especially for children with exceptionalities. Uh, She's also the coordinator for the Family Nature Club, a special free inclusive monthly meetup for families at Local Outdoor Experiences. Uh, Basically, her job is to make sure that all of the zoo's educational programs and classes are inclusive and accessible to all of the participants and also providing guidance, training and support for staff at the zoo who may work with people with exceptional needs. Kristen comes to the zoo after uh, working as an occupational therapist for 27 years, working primarily with children with exceptionalities in a school setting. Uh, It's just a really cool, awesome thing that they're doing, and I I really give a lot of props to Brevard Zoo for investing so fully in their community of uh, fans with exceptional needs. Congratulations to the zookeeping staff at the Oakland Zoo who have decided to unionize with the Teamsters Union. I have often thought that a national zookeeping union would be a very good idea. Um, unfortunately, there are a lot of zoos out there that do take advantage of the fact that keepers are so passionate about their jobs to keep wages low and deny other benefits and such. This is not true of all zoos. I know plenty of zoos and plenty of zookeepers where, you know, everything's very happy and content. But honestly... A lot of those zoos do have their own unions, and I think a national zoo keeping union or a agreement to join up with an already established national union would be a great idea. Congrats to the keepers at the Oakland Zoo for taking this step. OK, and so for the last story in Zoo News this week, I have to tell you a little story, which is that as I was recording Zoo News, my mother called me specifically because she had heard a new punny word and wanted to tell me about it because she thought it might fit onto the podcast eventually. And who, boy was she right, and it's going in here right now. The new word was toron, which is T-O-U-R-O-N, and is a combination of the words tourist and moron. A portmanteau, something that I absolutely love. And uh, the the idea of a tauron is somebody who goes off as a tourist and does stupid things while being a tourist, including all of the people that you've heard about who break into zoo exhibits and try to, oh, I don't know, cuddle lions or whatever stupid stuff I've told you about on this podcast because this just keeps happening. And in fact, it has happened again, but uh, this tauron may be getting some true comeuppance. A thief recently broke into a monkey enclosure in a city park in Tasmania, Australia recently, stealing coins from the moat surrounding the enclosure and also causing damage to the electric fence of the exhibit. Unfortunately for the thief, the monkeys in question carry herpes B, which is an extremely rare virus that can lead to severe brain damage and even death. The virus is usually contracted uh, if a person is scratched or bitten by a monkey carrying the disease, but it can be spread through the monkey's nose, eyes, and mouth, being asymptomatically shed by bodily fluids and fomites, which is any material that has come into contact with the virus, which includes the water in the enclosure. The thief is being encouraged to uh, seek medical attention as a matter of urgency. Um, and uh, in case you're wondering, uh, you know, herpes B is not harmful to the monkeys that carry it. They're fine. Uh, you just need to be careful if you are a human that is dealing with those monkeys. And this person was not careful and now may die because of it. Darn. Consurgation! News time! Oh Yeah! A rare discovery out of Florida is pretty interesting. Uh, They have discovered a hybrid sea turtle that nested on Sanibal Island. Um, The turtle, which they call Flame Lily, is half Hawksbill and half Loggerhead. Or I would like to propose we call it a Hawkshead because that's really cool and frankly better than Loggerbill. Which is actually kind of cool too, but I like Hawkshead. Anyway, I'm going to stop rambling now. Um, yeah, so there was a nighttime nesting event last year, and then a later daytime encounter allowed biologists to get a clearer look at the uh, turtle and realize that it seemed kind of unique. And so they took some genetic samples and sent them off to the University of Georgia, which confirmed that it is, in fact, a hawkshead. I'm sticking with it. And uh, that's just really interesting. Those uh, species tend to mate and nest at different times. So it's extra surprising that there is a hybridization of these two. And it makes me wonder if this is something you're going to see more of as temperatures rise and things get more and more mucked up for sea turtle mating, or if it's just uh, a story of a beautiful hawksbill and a beautiful loggerhead falling in love and making a baby. Who knows? The Kakapo, a critically endangered bird, uh, has had one of its best years ever at Kakapo Recovery, which is the official uh, conservation organization working to save the bird, and uh, 55 of the 60 chicks hatched there this year have survived, which helps increase the overall population of the bird by 28% from last year to 252 individuals. Less than two decades ago, that number was 51 birds. So uh, things are looking up. The conservation project is going well. And uh, Kakapos have another lease on life thanks to the amazing work of conservation biologists. Yay! And speaking of born animals doing well, that was a horrible segue, Uh, 23 endangered eastern quoll joeys were born at Aussie Ark this breeding season. That is really exciting, and actually, because the breeding season for quolls is longer than a lot of other animals, that number may still rise. Now, you may remember that I recently told a story about Aussie Ark Getting in some potential trouble with the government, there was a debate whether they were allowed to do certain conservation things they were doing, and I said I would follow up on that story, and I've been checking every week, and there have just been no updates. I feel like that happens a lot in the conservation world. I guess these things take a while to go through court, Uh, so I am still keeping an eye on the overall situation at Aussie Arc, but I have to tell you, all of the conservation projects that I've seen them doing are wildly successful, so I'm going to keep talking about them and supporting them until I have a concrete reason not to. Um, so congrats to everyone at Aussie Arc, and please don't break my heart by have also been doing really crappy stuff. Thanks. Okay, now one of the more entertaining recurring themes on this podcast is me laughing about the fact that it seems like the government can do... Basically nothing in the U.S. Um, however, the Senate actually did something by unanimous consent recently that I am just so proud of. Conservation is so important. And y'all, by unanimous consent, the members of the United States Senate were able to get over their partisan bickering to pass Resolution 742, designating September 25th, 2022 as National Lobster Day. Nice to see politics working as it should. Okay, but seriously, all joking aside, the Senate did also pass, I mean, that was real, but they also passed a climate bill that could slash US emissions by 40%. Um, This is something that there were a few Democratic senators that had been kind of holding out against, most noticeably uh, Joe Manchin, but he finally came to terms with the other Democrats and they were able to pass this bill. It is a far cry from what Democrats were hoping to get passed, and I'm not going to lie about that fact. However— it is a big step in the climate change battle, and uh, honestly, with the way things have been going lately, it's more than I think any of us really expected to pass. Uh, a lot of facilities, including the National Aquarium and some other zoos and stuff, put up multiple, multiple paragraphs of why we should be excited about this bill, and and you can check those out if you want to for more details. But um, cutting emissions is great, and while we still want to and need to see more things happen. Uh, honestly, the fact that this was able to get through the Senate uh, to the House, where it is virtually guaranteed to pass, is just amazing news. So, yay, we'll take the wins where we can get them and keep fighting on for more stuff that we need to happen. You know, like International Lobster Day. In the Okay, y'all, we're gonna start off a little creepy with other news and then we're gonna get to some nicer things. So, uh, I have a couple stories here for you that I am really excited to share. Uh, First of all, some researchers recently watched dead fish rot for 70 days. So, that's exciting for them. The researchers who had their findings published in the journal Paleontology were trying to figure out how and why the soft tissues of internal organs can be selectively preserved in the fossil record. I won't go into all of the gory details, but let's just say that the scientists tracked the decomposition of sea bass while using probes to figure out what they were trying to figure out, and it was really, really gross, but they did it for science. So good job, team. Hopefully this will help us better understand the fossil record and why we get to see certain things and not other things in it. Okay, and this next one might be even creepier. Okay, so at Rice University, there is a a lab known as the Preston Innovation Lab. And uh, graduate student Faye Yap was working at the lab when she noticed a dead curled up spider that was laying in the hallway. Faye realized that she didn't actually know why spiders curl up when they die, and uh, so she did a a quick Google search to find the answer, and she basically realized that it has to do with the internal hydraulics of the spider. So she came up with the idea of using the bodies of dead spiders as tiny air-powered grippers for picking up and maneuvering tiny electronic parts. Faye and her colleagues did just that. They transformed a dead wolf spider into a gripping tool with just a single assembly step, essentially launching a novel new research area that they are calling necrobiotics. I can't make this stuff up. Um, But yeah, the idea is that a dead spider could basically be used as a gripper for delicate pick and place repetitive tasks and uh, could even be used sometime in the future uh, in the assembly of microelectronics. There is no joke. There is no pun. There is nothing I can say that will get that image out of your mind. I apologize. But I will tell you this, before spiders die and curl up and get turned into things that make microelectronics in the future, apparently, uh, we have come to realize that they dream while alive. At least, maybe. We're not entirely sure yet. But jumping spiders were recently observed experiencing rapid eye movement sleep, which uh, in general is an indicator that the animal in question, including humans, are dreaming. Now, spiders are not the only non-human animal to experience this. Dogs and many others do as well. Uh, But I I have to, I guess it just begs the question. I wonder if any of these spiders ever dream of becoming basically claw machines for scientists. Who can say? Okay, enough with weird morbid stuff. Let's get real happy. The baseball team, the Seattle Mariners, have a new team member. That's a That's a weird thing to have in Zoo News, isn't it? Nope, not at all, because the team member is Tucker, a four-year-old Labrador Retriever mix who the Mariners adopted to save from euthanasia. Their hope is that Tucker will be an ambassador and uh, will, will hang out with fans as well as teammates at the clubhouse and will also remind fans that they can go out and save animals from death by adopting them. It's a really good cause. It's a really cute dog. And uh, I'm a big fan of that even if I don't really root for the Seattle Mariners. Normally, good job, Mariners. That's awesome. And then last but not least, and also kind of a thing that's going to sound weird in Zoo News at first, is uh, this week we lost singer and actress Olivia Newton-John, uh, most famous for her song Physical and her role as Sandy in Grease. Now, again, what does that have to do with with conservation? Well, it turns out that... Um, She was a big supporter of the Cheetah Conservation Fund, CCF, and uh, was good friends with Dr. Laurie Marker, who runs CCF. Back in 1977, they traveled to Namibia together to see if a captive-born cheetah named Kayam could learn to hunt in the wild. And ever since then, she was a supporter of CCF and also frequently hung out with Dr. Marker doing other cool uh, conservation work in the wild. I had no idea about this. It's really amazing. But uh, the world lost another good one with Olivia Newton-John. All right, it is still August, which means it is National Parks Month, National Catfish Month. August is for Antelope Month and Asian Elephant Awareness Month. Now, if you're listening the day this podcast drops, it's Friday, August 12th, which means it is still technically International Assistance Dog Week for two days. And it is also World Elephant Day and World Herola Day. Then on the 14th, it's World Lizard Day. The 15th is the Day of the Cottontop Tamarin and Action Indonesia Day. And the 17th is Black Cat Appreciation Day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. All right, so I'd like to say thanks to Lara Shank, my Red Panda-level patron, and also to all of my patrons. Don't forget that you can support the pod by going to patreon.com slash rossafari. You can start for as little as $3 a month, and it really does help me keep this bad boy going. And I'd also like to say thanks to everyone who shared stories this week, including Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Kerry Kirkpatrick, Peter Oilo, Emily Rockbuck, Chris Gross, and Marianne Rossi. And remember, friends, the words Newsy Credits Backwards are Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossifari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray.